You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, sponsored by Starburst Magazine. I always forget to say that. <laughs> I remembered this time, and now I've done all this jibber, we're going to have to do the start again. And for the next 60 minutes, we're going to talk about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. I'm shaking my booty. You don't have to. So an advert for Euler Ole. Do I sound gay? No, it was just no, a bit just camp. a bit camp. Okay. <laughs> Hi, I'm JR. Hello, I'm Lee. Hello, I'm Mark. And today... Oh, I tell you what, I didn't bring up in the last podcast. Your lunch? No, I tell you what. <laughs> Sorry. I had a mouthful of tea. That could have gone disastrously <laughs> wrong. <laughs> And indeed it did. Yeah. Uh, before we do anything else, let's just thank Simon, because Simon yeah. had a hell of a bad cold. Yeah. Very chesty, chat. not very good at all. And he came along tonight and he actually stayed with us and was in our first podcast. And even though he wasn't planning to, he was just coming along to bring his equipment and set us up to record. And mm. that is way above and beyond the call of duty. So thank you to Simon. I hope you get well soon, mate. <clears throat> I know this is... Possibly harking back to a controversial point made in the last episode, but without him, it wouldn't have happened. Hey. True. It's true. Without Simon, it wouldn't have happened. No. It wouldn't have happened. No. no. It wouldn't have done. And he can't regenerate either. No. Oh, I see what you're saying. <laughs> <coughs> I'm... Okay, I'm going to do it on the spot first. Oh, God. I don't know why you're hiding, Lee. You did the last one. <laughs> yeah, he's been AWOL for the last two, so Isn't that it surely means that he's... I did have Simon down for this next one, but oh, he's run off. No. So, Mark, <laughs> would you like to guess what you're going to talk about? I did give you a massive clue in the last episode. Space Pirates. <laughs> no. Oh, no. <laughs> it's the wheel in space. 60 oh. seconds. Okay, um, the story that introduces Zoe, um, isn't she playing a librarian? Mm-hmm. Yeah, unusual choice. Um, Especially considering she's a math genius with a gold badge. <laughs> <laughs> That's harsh. Yeah. Okay. Very harsh. Um, it's kind of your average base under siege, but this time it's on a wheel in space. It's on a space station rather than like a little small hut middle of the arctic and what's it under siege by cybermen and how many cybermen is it under siege by six guess again two 
Yes, there are only <laughs> two Cybermen costumes. <laughs> so there are two Cybermen holding this base under siege. Did they siege. have another redesign for that one? I can't remember now. Um, yes, they did. Yeah. Did they have a mirror to make it look like they have clear handlebars two. or something? Uh, or no, that? they changed the body. Oh, the, the, um, balls, wasn't the it? chest unit. Uh, they changed everything from the neck yeah. down. Mm. And from the neck up. Wheeling space, uh, we've kind of obliterated your 60 oh, that, seconds. Oh, that was clever, Mark. <clears throat> Bringing us in like that. Oh, From yeah. the neck up, the significant change they made, this is an important one. Yeah. It's the first Cyberman design with the teardrops in the corner of the oh. eye. That starts with the wheel in space. Yes, it does. Blimey. Happened with that yeah, now. forgotten about that. So there you go. Yeah. That's uh, the wheel in space. Well done, Mark. That's brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, we are going to be talking about season 13. Yay! You know, we've done these from time to time, the season ones, and usually there's been a specific reason why we've done it, and we've not done Tom Baker yet, as a as a whole, as an era, Tom Baker. Did we not? No, not yet. No, no. But we had done John Pertwee. Yeah. We did verses, didn't we? Well, that was just... Yeah, that was just between season the cusp of change. Season seventeen. Yeah, that mm. wasn't. We haven't discussed the Tom Baker era as a whole. But let's no. let's do a season mm. and let's just talk about those six stories. Okay, okay. And we'll do season thirteen. I have got. I'm glad we're doing that one because that's the ones I've watched. <clears throat> <laughs> well, I have got um, two big emails here. So I think what I'll do. We've got six stories, right? So I think we'll do an email after. Every second story. Remind mm. me. Although okay. I don't want to forget these because I don't want to disappoint people by not reading their stuff You're out. You're looking at me when you say that. But oh, before we start with the first story, I want to bring up something that I meant to bring up in the last episode. And the last episode was so mammoth anyway that yeah. when we got to the end of it, I thought, I'm not going to bring this up now. There's an evil eye look in my direction. I'm getting worried. No, I... Um, <laughs> you should be. When we did the New 2 episode, do you remember we were talking at the start of the episode for about 20 minutes about speculations? Yeah. Right, I was listening to um, Mostly Harmless Cutaway earlier this week. Fine podcast. And you know sometimes when you're listening to somebody talking about one thing and it would just, a word or a phrase will trigger a thought of your own. Mm-hmm. And... I was also talking last week about my speculation about all the companions in the end of time. Right, yeah. And the thing about this is, I don't, unlike Eric on Mostly Harmless Cutaway, I don't sit down and think about these things for hours and hours and hours on end. I mean, he has been known to watch a trailer and then watch it back frame by frame. He's also That's been commitment. known to watch an episode upwards of 40 times in order to garner all the information from it. That'll be the 11th hour. Yeah. That is dedication. Mm. It's not dedication, it's insanity. <laughs> it's a fine line between insanity and genius. He treads it very well. He but does. the point I was going to make was I don't really work like that. I either see something or I don't. Mm. And I was listening to a mostly harmless cutaway, and I can't remember what they were talking about, but it wasn't about this. But I think he did mention at one point something that I've always held. And he just triggered a train of thought. He said he was thinking that Stephen Moffat has a plan for his entire tenure. Mm -hmm. As opposed to Rusty Davis would do a season arc, 
and then another season arc. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we were discussing last time yeah, about right. how I felt the same thing. Mm. Well, it just something, you know, I hadn't prior to a couple of days ago thought about what that plan might be. Mm. But I was just struck by a thought. So you want me to run it by you? Yeah. And see what you think. Do yeah. it. Do it. <clears throat> Shoot. Okay, now I've got to think about putting this into words. I wonder <laughs> if Stephen Moffat's tenure will end up with the entire 11th Doctor's period wrapped in a time loop. I wonder if the 11th Doctor will finish by... At the end of season five, we had the Big Bang, right? Where yeah. the universe was rebooted. Yeah. And throughout all the stories since, we've had lots of Doctor Who and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's all about trying to make people either forget or trying to make people remember something. Yeah. There's a big kind of the memory agenda, right? Going on throughout this whole thing. Prior to the Big Bang, you had a few instances in series five where things were slightly skewy, mm. like Amy not being able to remember the Daleks. Yeah. Like the in The Vampires of Venice, the whole, the, the, the fish people had been drawn through the cracks in the silence. Yeah. And the cracks weren't seeming to work in a particular way, but sometimes they'd work one way and sometimes another. Mm-hmm. And all these things seemed like they were not necessarily deliberate. Sometimes that they were just kind of thrown illogicalities in. thrown in for the sake of the story. Mm. But what if they were deliberate? <clears throat> what if in series five, Stephen Moffat was trying to show a universe that was aware that it was going to be rebooted? Not aware of it, but, you know, the reboot was kind of bleeding back and somehow affecting things that were going on before the reboot happened. What if Matt Smith's Doctor, the 11th Doctor, has now rebooted this universe in the Big Bang 2 and that reboot is what caused the silence to come into being and the silence have only existed in all times and all places in the rebooted universe but weren't in the original universe. And what if, and I don't think the silence story is over, what if... Matt Smith's doctor gets to the end of his tenure and the only way he can get rid of the silence ultimately is by undoing the reboot which causes the entire 11th doctor's tenure to get caught in a time loop so that the 11th doctor will effectively be wiped out of the universe's existence and he will then regenerate and the 12th doctor will be reborn and the Twelfth Doctor then is reborn without any of the Eleventh Doctor's memories. Or possibly Stephen Moffat might leave it for the next showrunner with the kind of reboot that we've yeah. talked about where the Doctor doesn't know what the Daleks are, etc. Mm. Stephen Moffat might wrap his era up with that left open ended up enough that the next showrunner can come along and do what he likes with it. Mm. But that would wrap the whole Stephen Moffat era up in a nice tidy bow. Mm. And I'm wondering if all this Doctor Who thing is because we've told this most important question and the fall of the 11th we're told to expect. Mm. I'm just wondering if he is foreshadowing taking the 11th Doctor out of the canon entirely. Basically what you're saying is he's stolen Lee's idea. 
But the point is, <laughs> you know how Stephen Moffat has certain tropes that he likes yeah. to yeah. use or embellish or redevelop? He's already done this reboot once. Mm. What if that's just a foreshadowing of the big reboot that comes at the end when he time locks the entire Do you know five what? years or whatever? I would be happy with that because the silence is such a fantastic idea for another series. You know, if another science fiction series, if they had the silence from the beginning and it was it was all about the silence, it's a great idea, it's a great concept. But for Doctor Who, I can't imagine the silence being around in the Tom Baker era, in John Pertwee with the mm. Inferno. You know, why hasn't he seen it before? You know, okay, it's a bit of retconning, but it is such a huge thing that they suddenly start seeing these things out the corner of eye and, and working out that they exist. But it has to be, it in, has the to be universe, in the right? rebooted universe. I totally agree. And because they're in every time and every place... Yeah. It stands to reason that whatever you do do to get rid of them, and I said do-do again, Mark, <laughs> yeah. I know you like that, you never actually will because there is no foolproof way of getting rid of something that exists in every place and every time. No, exactly. Except by rebooting it again to reboot them out. And Why I not? Said, I like the way of thinking there. Yeah, I think Big Bang 3. <laughs> definitely sold on the idea of him having this huge story arc. Do we think that's realistically something that Stephen Moffat might actually do I yeah I think that's realistically I think he could do that yeah I'm not quite sure about completely taking the 11th Doctor out of the canon type thing well when I say out of the canon I don't mean out of the yeah, canon of Doctor Who on the television I mean you know so that the 10th Doctor will only know the 12th Doctor as the next Doctor and the 12th Doctor will only remember the first 10 I mean that is a complete mind Muck up, but I think <laughs> I Again. think that's what all this Doctor Who yeah. business and all this now the Daleks don't remember me, now the universe doesn't remember me. I want somebody else to remember me, Amy at the end of the Big Bang. Mm. It's all about who remembers me and who doesn't remember it is. me. It's all about fairy tale and it memories. Sounds to and... me like he's foreshadowing having a Doctor who nobody remembers. It just sounds. Yeah. It just I it just, is so stuffed full of fairy tale as well, yeah. this whole thing. It, just, c- it could feel like a big fat dream at the end of it, you know, an amazing dream, but a big fat kind of imagination, you know, running completely mental dream. But then all the 12, the, actually the, I love the idea of the 12th unhappened. Doctor, because we talked about this before, haven't we, about wiping his memories. It's a bit of an age-old concept. The books have done it in, in, with the 8th Doctor, mm. and it worked really well. Mm. And I think it's a great idea. But in order to get there, it's like, how do you do it in such a great way to end the 11th Doctor tenure? Yeah, And this could do this it. This could do it, couldn't it? Yeah, mm. I just wonder. Fingers crossed. It's one of those things where you suddenly get a flash of an idea in your head, and it just seems to make sense. Mm. Especially for a doctor that's been so, the fans have taken him to their hearts, and the majority anyway. There's a, I know there's a few tenant fan. And how do you? That's great. How do you really, really pull the guts yeah, out? Yeah, exactly. Of that a real heartbreak. Do a Donner on him. Do a Jamie and Zoe on him. Oh. Yeah, that would be. Oh, that would be gut wrenching. And that would yeah. really make the fall of the eleventh something actually special, rather than just a name for. A regeneration. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ooh, so I have well, a let's, feeling. Let's see. And incidentally, talking about the great intelligence, right? Uh, Big snow globe. Well, I was saying, yeah, but what I was, <laughs> do you remember I was saying, I think the great intelligence story, the snowmen, might be the first skirmish in a bigger battle to come, mm-hmm. and that the great intelligence might be what was behind the silence. Well, of course, the snowmen is a prequel to. The Abominable Snowmen and 
Web of Fear. Web of Fear. It takes mm. place before them. Mm. So actually, not it doesn't just take place before them in a sort of chronological history, but in Doctor Who history, the great intelligence that we see in those two stories is supposed to be more advanced than this great intelligence because this is the great intelligence before it animated spheres and animated Yeti. So I'm just wondering if he's given us like the birth of the great intelligence mm. in the Doctor Who legend. Mm. And now as fans, we have to understand that the abominable snowman and the web of fear come next. And then the next time we see the great intelligence, it's moved on again. It's moved on again. Mm. And I'm wondering if the reason he's done that is so that he can show that he's taking it to be something bigger, something mm. that could ultimately be the 11th doctor's downfall. If the 11th, the 11th, if the great intelligence having, tried with the yeti right then you know it's just a formless mass of intelligence right so we don't know what it's capable of but having tried the yeti if the great intelligence then moves on creates the silence sends them throughout all of time and space you know then it becomes the biggest bad the doctor's ever faced doesn't it that'd be great wouldn't it that's a great idea if it doesn't get written you've got to write it well, if it doesn't get written, I'll do it as a short story for Famonac. <laughs> right, season 13. Right, we voted for these stories in our order of preference. And as usual, we are doing them in reverse order of how they came and up. can I just say, this was, was a painful. bitch. It was. This was a really hard to do, this one. Totally. I can't repeat what I said on our on our thread, but uh, but there was one really story difficult. that was really easy to do, okay? <laughs> because all four of us voted it in last place. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it was Terror of the. Z- <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. It was Planet of Evil. Yes, Mark, yeah. Planet of Evil. Mm. Why if- did all four of us vote that last? Okay, let let me just say this before I kind of lay into it. I'm not going to lay into it in a big way, but. The, the set for the jungle is astonishing. astonishing. It's really good. On the bits filmed in film, it looks stunning. Studio um, looks lit in the right way. But when they cut back to videotape again, it looks a bit shonky. Mm. <clears throat> it's shonky. still better it than now? a lot of jungle sets that came oh, no, afterwards. It's, but it's yeah. stunning. It's stunning. That's, that's great. Um, and to be honest... It, even not taking the film sequences in the jungle into account, there's a lot of atmosphere in this one, and it is pretty scary. I can remember this one absolutely terrified me when I was a kid. Really? Absolutely terrified me. Was it the jungle that terrified you, or the actual kind of... No, it was the concept. Right, okay. The invisible monster in the jungle, Mm. which is what they did again. I was exactly the same in Face of Evil, of course, just a year later. Mm. But, um, you know, we all know that... If uh, you know, sorry, just to yeah, interject, on, on, on. for people who moan about Stephen Moffat repeating himself, here you've got two stories, yeah, uh, both mid-season, two consecutive years, with exactly the same concept, invisible <laughs> monsters in a jungle. But anyway, I digress, go on. No, I mean, we, we know that the uh, there's a bit of gothic horror, a bit of hammer coming in here, because you've got the, <clears throat> uh, you know, Jekyll and Hyde, thing going on but also yeah. we've got that wonderful forbidden planet ripoff mm, which is the creature mm. i'm fine i haven't seen it for a while a hammer <laughs> yeah i know i know what you, you, you know what i mean I, I, I always say that when we do I don't a tom mean baker podcast 
and we'll do Tom Baker in two goes. I'm going to debunk this whole hammer thing. <laughs> it's I'm going to smack your bum. Well, it's like there are like three <laughs> stories in the entire seven years that are actually inspired by Hammer films. Okay, not Hammer, but the I know, but everybody says yeah, it. Do you I know. know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I know. But we'll come the back Amicus to that another Hammer, time. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. I think Village, Philip Hinchcliffe was quoted as saying that he wanted to go back to um, classic fiction and draw on that mm. as an influence, and it really should come yeah, through in this. That's, that's a better. If Hinchcliffe had stayed for a fourth year, he was planning to do the Adventures of Alan Quatermain. No oh, way. <laughs> oh, did you, neither of you know that? No. Oh, right. That'd well, he wasn't going to literally do it, but he was going to no, do it in the same way on, as yeah. Prisoner of Zender became Androids of Tara. Oh, that would be cool. Yeah, yeah. I don't oh. know how he'd afford to do that in a quarry in Dorset, but nevertheless, <laughs> that was his plan. Yeah. Inchy, come on, write an audio play. Um, He's yes. things. Yeah, well, not that one, though. No. Yeah. But uh, no, the Planet in- Evil. I was just trying to think the invisible monster, the, the effects of the invisible monster, was that quite effective then? Because I. It was when you were six. It yeah. wasn't so much if you I weren't. I can't quite remember. What it was. time, I don't think it was that bad. Yeah. Bit of CSO and what have you. But it, yeah. It's a bit like, like a little bit CSO like cartoon type. monster. Mm. You uh, had Michael Wisher, Sans makeup. Yeah. Davros, without his makeup on. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of. Him in it, I can't remember. This is probably why I He's voted Lex. Like I couldn't a, remember it as well as the others. He only has a small part. Yeah, that is the only reason I voted it at the end. It's because I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't actually decide what to vote at the end, and it was the only one that I hadn't seen in a while. And I, I just tell thought you what, maybe it's the one that didn't <coughs> stuck no, stick with all me voted quite it as much. At the end, the, we yeah, all voted but last. why did you stick at the end? I tell you why it's voted last because, in spite of the fact that it was absolutely terrifying as a kid, and in spite of the fact that they got so many things right with it. It, the the crew of the spacecraft are pretty dull. Yeah, they're right. not written with any life whatsoever. Flat characters. There's one character in there who is I can't remember his name. The second in command, the older guy. Oh, yeah, Sharinsky yeah, or something. The, yeah, yeah. And of course, the character that is it, Frederick Yeager plays. Yes. Um, he's good, yeah. but that's mainly in the performance. Mm. And the older guy is also good, but again. I think a large part of that, although slightly less, is in the performance. But then you've got Prentice Hancock as the mm. commander of the ship. And they're not written terribly interestingly. Uh, it is a bit like a kind of a spirit and John Pertwee-esque. I yeah, know. Your time, you kind of, you get in the first episode brilliant. But mm. once you get past the first episode, yeah. after that, it's a bit hard to care about anyone. I know there's something that Lee feels very strongly about is the, the yeah. costumes. Uh, do you know what? He's reading my mind. I was about to mm. say, groovy costumes, loved them. No jeans and t-shirt there. Yeah, R2 he'd rather have that than jeans and t-shirts totally. every time. Imagine the jeans and t-shirts in the 70s. It would have been yeah. flares, wouldn't it? Yeah, obviously, And like yeah. a t-shirt with, I don't know, zippy on it or something. You know, in space. And you'd look yeah, at but they're spacemen. They would look like the Tomorrow People, which was pants. So... But, Russell T. Davis put spacemen in spaces. Well, Milton Johns wears a oh, no. monumental pair of flares in one of the other stories that we're going to be talking about <laughs> tonight. <laughs> we'll but we'll get back to that later. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We'll talk about that next, I think. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. But I, th- I remember Tom Baker watching this episode uh, when... Uh, um, Baker years? Yeah, J&T put him in front of all of the yeah. episodes and said, right, yeah. you know, we'll just play them and you'll get your instant reaction, obviously hoping that 
Tom Baker will go, well, there's a story about this and that. <laughs> I know and where this is going. Do you remember going. this? He's, yeah. He sat there and he watched the transformation of this guy, which it was a scene he wasn't mm. even in, actually, which is a bit unfair. And he goes, oh, don't remember any of that. <laughs> next one. <laughs> you know what the problem was? <laughs> he didn't get, um, they just showed him like two minute clips. Yeah. Right. But in order to be able to afford to put this video together, they couldn't have two minutes clips with lots of actors in because they'd have had to pay loads of rights and issues oh, and things like that. God. So they had to choose clips from these stories that by and large avoided having actors or dialogue and stuff. So you had a lot of very unrepresentative clips from a lot of these I things. I think that particular one, sorry, Mark, that yeah, particular one, one could have just been yeah. him and Sarah in the forest. Yeah. And he'd have gone, oh, that forest set, you know? But mm. having this guy in a chamber change mm. when he wasn't even on the set for that piece. Yeah. Where they missed a trick was they should have had John Leeson in the studio with him chatting yes. about it. That would have been brilliant. That, that, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, poking him in the ribs going, what mm. about this bit? Or boning up on something to <laughs> jog his memory. I beg your pardon? <laughs> But you know what? Even though we've all of us roundly voted this in last place, I think in almost any other season, it would have been a contender for the best story. It's not bad. Not bad. No, it's just not as good as the others. It's pretty damn good. I think you could... Just missing Adric in a machine, killing everything by accident. I think you could quite happily put (laughs) this on... And you can't see the studio floor at the bottom of the (laughs) jungle either, can you? No. (laughs) But I think you could quite happily put this on nowadays... And, you know, apart from the fact that it's not HD and it's not widescreen and that, you know, there is the jump from film to video. I think mm. it pretty much looks It does go a little bit to... Scooby-Doo villain when he transforms into the um, the Hyde and character, <laughs> which is, you know, <laughs> fun. I enjoy Scooby-Doo. Yeah. But yeah. Well, but nothing, I think some nothing the... compared to the Pat Trouton era that we were talking about last well, week. Yeah. <laughs> But I think there's um, some of the stuff in it, like the bit at the end of episode two where he goes down into the, the black pit. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. some of that stuff... Yeah. pretty... Some of that stuff you out. could do in Doctor Who now, and to be honest, in the Satan pit, the impossible mm. planet at the yeah. end, they pretty much did. It's one of my favourite yeah. scenes. That scene. that scene so much. But you know what I'm saying? Planet of Evil probably could be done as a modern story without too much alteration needing. I do mm. quite like the fact that he's redeemed at the end because... Remember watching some of the extras on the DVD. That initially, they wrote it that he would have fallen into the pit at the end, and that yeah. was it. Whereas he actually comes back. I quite like. Yeah. There's some mm. interesting ideas as well, and mm. everything else. Yeah, it's good to buck the trend. It's yeah. a, it is a good story. I think probably, you know, the one thing that lets it down is the characterization of those guys on the mm. spacecraft. They're all a bit. There's a, the only the second in command has any sense of humour whatsoever. I think they're not know? very much human beings. There's it's amazing, isn't it? All the way through the whole of Doctor Who's life, whenever you mention Jungle Planet, right? Mm. And I know that you're a big fan, Jay. I like Jungle Planets too, right? They always look like just how how you can only describe it as a Doctor Who Jungle Planet. <laughs> It doesn't look You're like of, a jungle planet, does it? It's just a bunch of kinder, isn't it? Painted yeah. tendrils hanging down. Oh, and I tell you, even worse than kinder, because mm-hmm. I think at least kinder has a metaphorical element to the story mm-hmm. that kind of allows you to um, let your imagination run free with it. But mm-hmm. Megalos. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Creature from the pit, though. 
Yeah, oh, fantastic. Again. That was good. I like that. And Face of Evil. Ah, the, some of the scenes in the first episode of Face of Evil, I just think it look astonishing. That's because they reused the set, probably. <laughs> well, no, it's not. It's Repainted the tank. It's shot on film as well, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. all three of those stories. Yeah. The first episode, shot on film at mm. Ealing or wherever, and look great. Let's move on to story number five. We, I'll guess. I oh, know it's one of your personal favourites. It's the Android Invasion. Yeah, I have to be perfectly honest here. I love that story, mm. but I am well aware of its failings. Me too. <laughs> it's I love it. Yeah, but I but know it's, it's a bit naff. It's not terribly well written. The dialogue's pretty hokey, and the story has got holes that you could drive a medium-sized planet through. <laughs> Are we talking about the bell bottoms on Milton John's trousers again? No. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, leave him alone. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But I think, you know what? Every now and again, a story will come along that doesn't make any sense. And I think gets by because it attacks that lack of sense with such brio that it carries you along with it. Yeah, it's the bloody stupid, stu- stupidest, stupidest. <laughs> I'm talking like it. Jayana, area. No, it's the stupidest invasion plan known to man, isn't it? It's really stupid. Let's like, get a, you know go and invade Earth by replicating a little tiny village on a radiation blasted planet. It just doesn't make any sense. But and I love only, the I love the Kraals. I love their design. They never came back, and I was like, I actually yeah. really like this. This well, this, I said this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, those are the one monster that I really like to see an action figure yeah. of because I love yeah. them too. They are they great? And they've got a little bit of warrior chain sea devil thing going on. It looks it all looks good. And um I'm just a sucker for bizarre villagers and weird folk. Yep. Yep. So yep. the idea of them walking into a pub and it's empty and then you know, this thing driving in and letting out, you know, they were walking into place. And you know what? Stepford Wives um, meets novel man. All the ten P's have got the same date on. That's oh, in the just novel, a brilliant idea, isn't it? That's just yeah. Oh, I love the TV programme as well. No, but what I'm saying is, I don't remember that from when it was on TV. Mm-hmm. I my first sort of comprehension of that yeah. was in the novel. I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. There's a little bit of Avengers in as well. You got that. oh yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. Avengers world, but all of that it just it's just lovely. But I think where it falls down. It's just, you know, like you say, with the plot and that there's so many holes in it. It's not just that the rationale behind the invasion plan doesn't make any sense. The invasion plan itself doesn't make any sense either, which (laughs) doesn't help. It's Android inversion, inversion. Android Android invasion is a perfect example of two episodes good, two episodes bad. Mm. Except I like the latter two episodes because of the Krals and Mm. because of Milton Johns. And because of that stupid eye patch reveal. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. Did he never oh, wash? I mean, what was the, what was the crack with that? I know. That's but here's the thing. These stories were written only to ever be seen once, right? Mm. Nobody knew that they were going to be novelised or that they were going to be released on VHS or DVD or mm. repeated or anything. And if you were eight when you saw the Android invasion yeah, and like, he pulls his eye patch on yeah. and he's got a... Fully functioning eye under there, you'd have gone bloody uh, hell. Yeah, and then your mum would have told you office wearing. <laughs> no, it depends. One thing I can't forgive it for is the way they write out Harry. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah, but, but the rest so of the badly story. handled. It's like, oh. Yeah, but the, but the rest of the such year, a beloved really. character, and he just gets such short shrift. Yeah, but there's a story behind that. 
which is... Well, he was going to have a much bigger role, wasn't he? Well, if they'd have got Nick in Courtney... In that episode. Nick Courtney should have been in three stories that series. Mm. Or rather, he should have been in two stories that series because Terror of the Zygons should have been in season 12. But Nick Courtney wasn't available for either story, mm. which involved lots of rewrites and in one of the stories the other one the rewrites were less heavy but in this one i think some of the rewrites mm. to do it without the brigadier were of necessity much bigger and i think because of that sergeant benton and harry sullivan both had to pretty much be sidelined out of what they would have been well that the what i saw on the dvd extras and i can't remember if it was on the uh, info text or on one of the documentaries was that uh, terry nation had written it very much with Harry Sullivan having a much bigger role in it mm. and he was asked by Philip Hinchcliffe to scale that back and he wanted the focus more to be on Sarah Jane. Maybe so. because by that point Harry Sullivan had left as yeah. a companion and yeah. they were basically just bringing him back in for the cameo. It was a death knell of yeah. unit as well. It's just It was a sad, that was a sad kind of whimper. Mm, you have it? to look at Terror of the Zygons as the last unit Definitely. story. Mm. And Android Invasion is only nominally a unit story. Yeah. If the brig had been an Android Invasion, it, it would have definitely lifted it up, I think. Yeah, well, they brought in the uh, Colonel character, didn't they? To Colonel fill, Faraday, is Yeah, it? to fill the yeah. void where he would have been. But of course, yeah. mm, doesn't... The thing is, of course, um, because... Uh, what was I about to say? Oh, yeah, I was saying it's only nominally a unit story in the same way... As oh, I can't think of the example I was about to say. The so invasion, I'm just kind of drifting off. Yeah, I guess so. Maybe coming mm -hmm. out or Web of Fear, mm -hmm. perhaps more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The that, Web that's of Fear right. is what yeah. it feels like. Yeah. It's like um, if you have something that's huge that kind of bestrides your, you know, Brigadier's in Mordred Undead, mm. and is in Battlefield, mm. and of course Battlefield is a unit story in inverted commas. But it's not a unit story in the same way as the Pertwee ones were with the unit family. So this is not a unit family story. What they should what have I'm done was just blow up unit just like they did with Torchwood. Take it all out. <laughs> yeah, but Torchwood still carries on. True. Or does it? Mm. Yeah. Android invasion. Oh, so oh I'll tell bird. you, there's some nice I... moments. I like. Sorry. I, do, I just think the first two episodes are brilliant. The, mm. the twitching soldier in the wood. Yeah, was a bit, moment. Bit camp. No. But <laughs> I'll like tell that. you what, directed by Barry Letts. Great leap uh, off the cliff as well. Uh, yeah, awesome. it suffers from five doctors <laughs> falling down the mild oh, incline. Oh, God. Yeah, <laughs> I mentioned, I actually tweeted as I was watching this. I said, Sarah Jane does it again. She's fallen down a mild incline. <laughs> Yeah, but she also rolls over on the floor and her face comes off. That's just a brilliant yeah, moment. Yeah. I love that. And I oh, like yeah. the moment with the ginger beer as well, where he twigs that uh, yes. she's not who she appears to be. Yeah, I mean, I love all of that, all of that yeah. kind of playing. I mean, it's obvious to the um, to us watching mm. that, you know, oh, Doctor, don't trust that Sarah, or, you know, Sarah, don't trust that Doctor, because there's a double Doctor. But it's great, because A, it gives the actor something else mm. to do. Have a bit of a play, yeah. And B, if but you're also, eight. you know, if you're eight, you're you're you know that there's something wrong, and you desperately shout at the telly, yeah. And it's, it's only when he clicks with the say the ginger pop or whatever mm. it is, and uh, and that's another trope that was repeated ad infinitum. Oh, doctor, why do I understand Latin all of a sudden? Oh, that's because you're only pretending to be Sarah Jane, Sarah Jane. Mm. 
Was that Tom Baker? <laughs> well, it was hardly. Well, it was hardly Elizabeth Bloodley Slade in the first sure, place. Yeah. <laughs> ah, May she right. rest in peace. Right then, emails. Yeah, I tell you what. Let's oh, do. Well, we got a very long in email from Doc Whom about our snowmen and our TARDIS episodes. He won't have been happy about the last episode because I think we mentioned how long we've been recording for at least three times. Ah. <laughs> but what I'll do is I'll read his comments on the snowmen and then I'll read his comments on the TARDIS episode later. Uh, and this is quite long, so I'll whip through it. Unfortunately, the idea seems to have taken hold at Cardiff that Christmas episodes must necessarily be totally bobbins because RTD thought that sitting down in front of the telly after an enormous Christmas meal on the most fun day of the year must mean people can't handle anything intelligent, that they just want unchallenging pap. This is just one of the many truisms to which Doctor Who clings, which are rarely challenged because people seem to imagine that being a TV writer means you understand your audience better than they understand themselves. Examples are the completely unfounded belief that the audience can only relate to the Doctor if they can see them through the eyes of a human companion. That would mean that the audience wasn't able to handle anything between the Rebus operation and Meglos when the Doctor was travelling with someone arguably much cleverer than he was. The other justification for the Christmas episodes being bobbins is that Christmas Day is a great opportunity to attract the floating viewer. Well, surely that's an argument for pulling out all the stops to make the Christmas episodes the best of the whole year. Imagine how many viewers of the BBC could attract permanently to Doctor Who if the Christmas episodes had been of the quality of Blink. Whoever it was who said it made a good point that hadn't occurred to me when he pointed out how Talons is a great example of how well the Doctor worked when he had a gang but does the Doctor really have a gang in the snowmen? What exactly is the point of Madame Vastra and her sidekick? We keep being told that they're great detectives, but we see none of it. Am I the only one who thinks that these two exist for no other reason than to say, Oh look, lesbians. Do they honestly fulfil any other role than simply being lesbians? I'm afraid that there's little point in debating whether Strax makes the Sontarums seem silly, as that boat sailed when they were originally redesigned during the Tenant era into being the size of schoolboys. I disagree that the mention of the London Underground was similar to the Macra in Gridlock in that it was a nice nod to old-time fans which newbies could take or leave. The Macra existed in Gridlock just to be an anonymous monster. The plot was that there was a threat at the bottom of the motorway and what that threat was called was irrelevant. The Underground mention doesn't work on any level at all unless you're familiar with what happens in Web of Fear. While it's true that during a normal season the Doctor will do and say stuff that won't be explained until later in the season, this is going to do nothing but confuse this supposed big audience of floating viewers on Christmas Day. It just reminds newcomers that they've missed a lot of history. And before I carry on any further, if the Snowmen was indeed a prequel to the abominable Snowmen and the Web of Fear, mm. then what was the snow globe doing with a biscuit tin with a map of the London Underground on it? I didn't get that bit. I've only watched it the once. Well, the London Underground point. did exist by then, so potentially yeah. it could just be coincidence that that tin was in that room and the Doctor therefore made a reference to yeah, it. Uh, I, I, I also got confused at that point. Well, do you know what I think? I think the tin is just there. It's just a biscuit tin. And the Doctor picks it up and points it out because he's reminded himself of something which triggers something in the great intelligence that when the great intelligence comes to make its third great play on the planet earth it thinks to itself oh the london underground try that 
Okay, right. So, so it's... maybe Moffat's put that in as a timey-wimey trigger yeah. for the future. Oh, uh, okay. That anyway, makes that's more little... sense now. Thank goodness you're here. Yeah, well... <laughs> <clears throat> it could be that. It might not be, but that's the only way it makes sense, I think. Uh, back to... I was going to say back to Steve, back to Doc Hume. Uh, what nonsense the great intelligence business card was. The GI was certainly tantalising, but to find that great intelligence was printed underneath in small print was ridiculous. What invading alien is going to draw attention to itself like that? It would be like everyone on Satellite 5 handing around business cards printed with T-D-A-H-I-T-S-S on them and the Daleks are hiding in the solar system in small print underneath. Actually, I could go on that one as well. I'll come back to it in a minute. Yes, up until the reveal, the letters GI were intriguing, but it then becomes silly. I suspect Moffat will argue that the intrigue was justification enough, but if he's such a clever writer, which we know he is, why not give us an intriguing puzzle which doesn't fall flat on its face at the reveal? Why expect the audience to settle for second best? And then he goes on the title sequence, but I'll come back to that in a minute. You know, I thought that when I first watched it, GI printed on the card, and it stands for great intelligence. What a disappointment. It should have stood for something else, and the Doctor should have had to work it out. But mm. let's be honest. What, 30,000 people watching that episode know what the great intelligence is? Yeah. And, you know, 10 million people watch the episode. It's, uh, and I've said this so many times now, but I think that in episode is an introduction to the great intelligence for the 10 million people, the 8 million people who don't know what they are because we're going to see them again later. And yeah. as introductions go, you would put it on a business card because it doesn't matter up until the point where he reads Great Intelligence that it, that's what it says there. If you'd have said it says on this card Great Intelligence to one of the 10 million people who didn't know what the Great Intelligence was right at the start of the episode it wouldn't have made any difference to their understanding of what the great intelligence was mm. until the end of the episode when it's revealed what the great intelligence is. Mm. So it didn't matter what was printed yeah. on the card. It only mattered that at the end of the episode, the Doctor finds out it's the great intelligence and leaves that then as the introduction. So I just don't think it really mattered. Because yeah. that did bother me the first time I watched it? it. But then the second time I just thought, no, it's irrelevant. It didn't bother me that much. I think I think seeing it at the time, I thought, oh, that's cool. Well, I thought at the time, I thought GI was going to stand for something else and he was going to have to work yeah. it out. But the way they played it, with him barely remembering what the great intelligence is, so that we get that story later on. When we got to the point of seeing, or when we were realising it was a great intelligence at whatever point it was, did you kind of go, oh, it's a great intelligence? Well, I knew before Were you the, the only started. person in that room getting excited? I mean, I was, because no, three other people already, in the room... I knew already. Yeah, already, okay, yeah, but three so other people in the room that. when I was watching it didn't care. No, no. Well, I know. And I, I was like, into... going, oh, look, it's the... Oh, on me own then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I went into work afterwards and asked a couple of people who are not Doctor Who fans, but who watch the program mm. now religiously with the new series, but don't know the old series. Well, did you get the whole great intelligence thing and the biscuit tin with the London Underground? And they're like, well, no. And I said, well, did you enjoy the episode? And they're like, well, yeah. And I think it's like, that's kind of the point yeah. for a fanboy. As long as it works like yeah. that, that's fine. But yeah. But mm -hmm. the point is, now that great intelligence is introduced into the new series, if he does bring them back, then people are going to go, and that's from the snowmen. 
Mm. They're not going to be going, oh, that's from the snowmen and the abominable snowmen and the web no, of fear. Exactly. As long as they can go, oh, that's from the snowmen, job done. I think you have to almost assume <clears throat> at this day and age that people won't go back to the old black and white ones or spend six, you know, half an hour. If they're not already it. there, chances are, you know, 99% of them aren't going to go there. Mm. A small number of people will. There will always be a small number of people going on to those things, but that's only a really small number. And the point about Madame Fastry and Strax being in it and what their point was. I mean, yeah, exactly. There, was, there isn't really much of a point of them being there at all. It was just the new Jago and Lightfoot for, for Matt Smith. But I'm so glad they're there. I like the characters. I, li- I like Madame Fastry. And in fact, she was quite... She did have some moments of... Um, kind of brilliance actually the quiet periods where she's doing the one line only you know just one word one word mm. i love that i love it said a lot about who she was as a character and i hope they bring her back strax i know that simon can't stand a funny sontaran i've got to be honest i flipping love him i, I yeah. think he's fantastic Some of he's very very him, funny very good he's funny he's yeah. absolutely hilarious mm. yeah I, properly yeah. Mm. and it's good to have one sontaran who's kind of paying his dues back or was friendly with the Doctor but still has that instinct to want to kill something. It's like having a Klingon on board the Starship Enterprise mm. who just wants to kind of grab somebody and bash him around a bit and you go, no, no, hang and on, that's nice not how we do it here. dynamic between him and Vastra as well, although we didn't get to see much mm. of it in that episode in that he's the one doing it for honour but also has this instinct to kill mm. and she's the one who's not doing it for honour and goes around, you know, killing people. Yeah, and eating. <laughs> it's, well, but she yeah. is doing it for honour to a certain extent, yeah. but not in the same way as he the is. The lesbian thing I haven't got a problem with, but what I have got a problem with is it's different species. Because the bestiality. She, she, well, she eats. She obviously ate Jack the Ripper, didn't she? Yeah, in one she of eats the, people. She eats people. So the idea of being in... It's like me going out with a sheep or something, you know. I like my lamb chops. Let's, let's not go down that route. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's one of those... Did I say sheep? I meant sheep. <laughs> I think it's one of those things you just have to uh, <laughs> let go. Anyway, last paragraph. Let go of your sheep, please. <laughs> I've said it now, haven't I? <laughs> That's it. Oh, dear. Are we going to get yeah. the explicit tag without any bad language at all? <laughs> Possibly. We're not going to get an explicit tag. They don't no. listen to these things. Their machine's not going to know what you said about the sheep. I'm assuming a machine does it. It must do, mustn't it? They get far too much stuff for people to sit down and go through looking for swear words. I thought that the new title sequence was absolutely lousy with the exception of the face, which was done with surprising subtlety. The rest just looked like something a kid had done on a laptop. The only decent title sequence they've had in New Who was the original season one version, Mm. and it's never been better than the original Tom Baker Diamond Tunnel one. I'm with him on that one as far as the, the best. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I quite like the the you know the titles in the the last season, the last seven A whatever. But um, no, I, I did. I like the fact that you changed it each time uh, to reflect what the episode was about. So you you know, yeah, I I like that. Why not? Why not? If you can do right, it, right? We better get on. We've reviewed this. Yeah, stuff. moving on. Yeah, moving on. Let's move on. Right, the What's story next? that came fourth in our poll of season thirteen. This is going to absolutely shock everybody because I think a few people would have expected this to win. But the story we voted forth was Terror of the Zygons. What? Yeah. <laughs> Lee's face is a picture. What? The, what? What? What else is that? I mean, it's the well, season Well, Mark voted it fourth. 
Yeah. And you voted it second. Poor Simon voted it fifth. What? That's wow. Simon's fault. He's not here tonight. <laughs> well, it's Mark's fault as well. <laughs> Mike, yeah. fourth. Mike, who's Mike? Mark and Mark. Simon. Where did you put it? Sorry. Uh, I think second. Second, same as me, yeah. Yeah, I put it second. I think we should go to Mark then, first off. Yeah, what, what's so fourth? bad about Terror of the <laughs> Zygons? It's not bad. I just, well, I looked at the list and I thought, well, I prefer those three more than Terror of the Zygons. JR, strike him, strike him roughly. Can't, because you know what? I'm not <laughs> the biggest Terror of the Zygons <clears throat> fan myself. Which is not to say that I don't think it's utterly wonderful. Yeah. For an hour and 15 minutes, and then absolutely appalling for the last 25. There's not one minute that goes by in that that I don't enjoy. No, no, no there isn't anything. Even the hokey creature traipsing around. I'm not I talking about the hokey that. creature. I'm talking about the doctor skulking around in a basement underneath the conference centre for 20 minutes before the hokey creature turns up. So what? I think their use of pizza <laughs> technology is very good. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I mean, this is it. It was the idea of, of creating a brand new creature with something so wild and weird and, and pulling it off as well, I thought. They're realised very well. They are. Mm. And the they Zygons. Are, yeah. Mm. Spooky, weird, fetusy Garrison, kind of not so creatures. much. Well, I actually say that, but I like the I like the design of the Scarrison. It obviously just wasn't very realised on screen. You know, when the, we're talking about the Target books again, mm. holding oh. lots of good memories. That That cover with the kind of weird pink... And red, you know, kind of target novel mm-hmm. shape logo, and in in the foreground you've got the doctor and you've got the Nessie coming up, it's Carison rather. It's such a weird, skeletal, bizarre-looking creature with those deep-set eyes that I just, you know, it's a great design. But you're right, when it moves about, it just looks a bit pants. <laughs> um, but shall I tell you the biggest problem with that story? Go on, then. Is that the Zygons? When they're in human form, have lots of character. Mm. And when they're in Zygon form, even though when they take on the physical appearance of the humans, they're not actually supposed to take on their character as well. When they're Zygons, they're just all, and we will just be a generic monster. That's because it's Doctor Who. But that's my point. <laughs> you either write them as a ger- generic monster or you don't. But what you don't I do... you call him a geriatric monster. <laughs> well, that's what I made it sound like. <laughs> but what you don't yeah. do is write them as a generic monster half the time and as a non-generic monster the other half the yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. Mm. What I want to see is the bits they didn't film. So they're, you know, making making a bit of food and one's talking to the other and he's going, I think you put too much salt on that. Don't tell me how to cook. Well, my wife tells me. I'd be fantastic just having like a, this... any standards with Zygons for a while. Yeah, but no, but okay, you're being flippant. I'm but... not, because, it, you know, like you say, it's it's true. You only get to see this generic, you know, beastie going, oh, oh, oh. But what you really want to see is a little bit more character. But how do you get that character into a into well, one of those pieces yeah, without but, showing uh, normal everyday things? Well, no, but what, uh, if you look at the Android invasion and the Kraals, right? I can believe the Kraals off screen. I can believe yeah. they go off and... I kind of see your point, yeah. Have, have a meal and sort of sit at the table and get <laughs> angry with them. You're making me think of Peter Davison from Earthshot now. <laughs> But I can't believe in the Kraals doing things like that. Yeah. I can imagine, you know, Colonel Chidaki 
having fish and chips and being really cheesed off that this chip is just ever so slightly more browned than that one. <laughs> I can imagine that, but I cannot imagine the Zygons doing the same thing, except when they're in the human disguise. Mm. Mm. This is true. And they're not supposed to be taking on the characters of the humans, <clears throat> just the physical appearance, which I think is a huge discrepancy in the scripting. I think the scriptwriter, Robert Banks Stewart, should have written them the same regardless of whether they were in disguise as humans or not. And th- he doesn't. I think I've got a possible problem with this then. This one and, and Caesar Doom as well. Because they are almost cast iron. You can't... You can, I, I, I've never sat down and actually broke the story down. I've never thought about the writers. I never thought about, you know, all the stuff going on behind the scenes because there's so much magic there and nostalgia that it's almost impossible to break. And once that happens, I'm going to I'm going to cry. <laughs> I don't want to lose that magic. So well, you're right. There are, there you are better loads. leave before we get the seeds <laughs> of doom because I have massive problems with that story. Well, we're getting there soon. Well, from a place of love because yeah. season 13... I chose it for this episode because it's my favourite season. I love all six stories. <laughs> but, you know, I am going to bring the problems up because yeah, they're course. there to be brought up. Of course and these stories are. work in spite of them. Terror of the Zygons is wonderful. In spite of, you know, all the things I've just said. Mm. Absolutely adore it. And I'm very frightened that if they can ever come back, because everybody said, oh, bring them back, bring them back. No, don't. I don't know what, I don't know if they'll work. They, it would be great to keep them just set in time in that story and actually the, the little mention of the zygons in one of the stories past that we were talking about you know the victorian household or something yeah power three got me all excited and i thought don't do that you know if you're gonna don't tease me if you're gonna mention and show a proper episode but um it was kind of well actually you mentioned it you said no no it's better not to be seen and i thought about that i thought yeah you're mm. right actually it is a nice little tease but maybe i don't want to see him back Maybe I don't want to see a redesign like the Sontarans redesign, <clears> you know? Yeah. Right. What next? Brain of Morbius. <laughs> We've heard Brain of Morbius mm-hmm. third. I put it just a little bit after that, didn't I? But I think... Um, yeah, you put it fifth. Put it Second fifth. Second bottom. That's really hard, though. You know, I don't want to put it fifth because I, I loved it. Studio-bound story. All done in the dark. Totally Frankenstein. And it is. I suppose the problem with Brain and Morbius is it's a studio-bound story which is largely set outdoors. Yeah. I have a problem with with cults, Doctor Who. You know, they turn out, they crop up quite a lot. Cults. Sacred fire. Yeah. So it's okay. When I watched it as a a youngster, when I saw the video, it was the video, the young, the the, the original video that came out. 60-minute one. Yeah, it was turned into a film. Or whatever it was, it was terrible, really. But I was, I but got sick of the of sisters of whatever they're called, sisters of Khan or something. The sisterhood of Khan. Yeah, I just thought I don't want these old biddies in this. I want to watch the monster. So yeah, but the I, I found them a bit dull. That was the that was the thing. I just didn't like them. I think that's probably why I put it down at fifth. But I loved everything else. Philip Maddock, oh, absolutely yeah, fantastic, yeah. and the Igor character. The Igor character. They got shot in the stomach with a Mm. normal pistol, which I was shocked by when I first saw that. For a kids' TV program. Uh, The thing is, without the Sisterhood of Khan, it wouldn't have any balance. No, I know. You need that balance. Yeah. And. But putting them in, you see, Robert Holmes did a few things with that story that were really a little bit unforgivable. Like. Well, for a start. 
I tell you what's always bugged me about that story, and this is not quite as unforgivable, is coming in with the Doctor saying, oh, we've landed on an alien planet that I wasn't expecting to land on. It must be because the bloody Time Lords sent me on a bloody mission again. It's like, oh my god, no. (laughs) The TARDIS lands you in all sorts of weird and wonderful places and you never know where it's going to put you. Why this one particular time when you land would you suddenly start shaking your fist at the sky? Doesn't make any sense. Well, of course, it's to remind us that he is a Time Lord and there is another Time Lord in it. Uh, Well, not even so much as that. It is because it's left ambiguous as to whether the Time Lords did send him, but it's not just a signal that there's another Time Lord in it, but it's a signal that there's another Time Lord in it who he needs to do something about. Yes, exactly. Who is Which essentially is... a brain in a flipping jar. Yeah, that's a bit shoddy. <laughs> yeah. But the other thing is, yeah, if... Well, I, does Solon really turn up in the middle of this guy's execution and steal his brain out of the body? I'd love to mm. see that. That'd have been great. But the unforgivable filmed. thing, really, for me, is this sacred flame, right? Mm. That is a deus ex machina, if ever there was one. And not only that, it's a deus ex machina that has the capacity to mess with the concept of the program. Mm. And I, and they didn't do anything about it afterwards. Although there are stories like Underworld could have brought that up because they basically do the same thing. In Underworld, you've got a race of people, the Minyans, who've got time yeah. or technology to regenerate themselves, right? Mm. Basically, they're doing exactly the same thing as the Sisterhood are doing with the flame. Exactly the same thing. So, but what it does is it opens up a can of worms. And I don't mind stories that open up can of worms if, because Deadly Assassin, people always think, opens up a can of worms because it introduces... Just a mm, bit. Yeah, Gallifrey <laughs> and changes the whole... But I don't mind stories that open up can of worms if, A, it's only retrospectively that you can see the can of worms has been opened up. They haven't opened a can of worms for the sake of opening a can of worms. And B, if they do it really well and it serves a really important place in the plot. But to be honest, the sacred flame is only so that you can get Sarah Jane's eyesight back, right? Mm -hmm. That doesn't need to happen in the story. You know, it's, it's... it's just there. It's not really relevant. She's been blinded. Was she blinded before? Has she been blinded twice? With oh, Robert Holmes and his now. recurring there's this, motifs. There's this lovely thing at the end of just just skipping ahead to the end of her tenure, the Hand of Fear. When, when she walks out, she goes, "I've been blinded, hypnotized, blah 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 blah." And she just goes through all these things that's happened to her, and you just think, "Yeah, you poor sod." Be yeah. <laughs> made to wear these ridiculous yeah. clothes. But I'm, uh, that that was quite a powerful bit for me, uh, Sarah yeah. Jane going blind. Yeah, I, I thought so. Yeah, absolutely. But the yeah, and the creature great design, tech. awesome, great figure as well. Well, he was another one who's given it all that, hasn't he? <laughs> With his little claw. You know, well, and obviously Terence Dix wrote it as a robot. Yeah. Or was it? He definitely didn't write something with air horns for eyes, did he? And a human hand and a (laughs) claw on the the other. The hugest and stupidest idea in that is that he had to make it from bits of people. He had the whole doctor there where you just put the brain in the He had Igor there. Surely you just knock Igor out, take his brain out and put Morbius in. Yeah, I know. It's just, why make it from bits of people? Because he's mad. That's what it is. Yeah, but that's the fun of the story. Yeah. Hokey and daft yeah. and silly, and, a, and exactly like the android invasion in that respect, 
it just carries you along on the brio of the performances and in this instance as well also some wonderful dialogue very ripe dialogue very arch oh yeah i mean this is the sisterhood of a case of zygons again where you can't actually believe they exist as people off the screen most of them would be dull wouldn't they i mean how how would this society exclusively of women actually you know propagate itself have come to be in the first place. With the magic flame. Well, are we saying that they originally were women and men and they've killed off all the men? Possibly. Yeah, exactly. I don't, not, turkey I don't care yeah. about I don't them. think he actually put that much thought into it. He just wrote them, a society of women. Um, look, moving on, we had um, John Locke, not his real name, from Gallifrey Base, uh, sent me an email. I thought of a topic for a Blue Box podcast. Expiry. It is particularly relevant to an older audience. Um, I wrote him back and said, I don't think that's probably a big enough subject for an entire podcast, but it was also, but it was interesting. So mm-hmm. see what you think. As Doctor Who fans, there is a tremendous excitement about the 50th anniversary of the show. It's going to be an amazing year with much to surprise and thrill all us hardened devotees. But I have a question for those of us in our 40s who go back to the Pertwee Baker days or even earlier. Is this our final big anniversary celebration? Of course, we won't be around for the 100th anniversary, but even by the 60th year of Doctor Who, I will be in my mid-50s. Depressing bugger. <laughs> but no, Good I point, think it's an interesting yeah. point. Yeah. How Profound. long can I be a Doctor Who fan? Surely it can't be indefinite, or can it? Do men in their fifties chase the internet for spoilers, buy Doctor Who magazine, and yes. go to conventions? Of and, they do. And in their sixties, yeah. in their seventies. Do you know the? But, <laughs> no, but I think I the interesting be. point here is we don't know <clears> because. Age. By and large, no, but by and large, <laughs> Doctor Who fandom is made up of people who were children when they first saw the series, mm. not people who were grown ups when they first saw the series. If you were like maybe 40 in 1963, you may have caught some Doctor Who's and you may have enjoyed some Doctor Who's, but it's extremely unlikely that you would have stuck with the program and grown up with the program, obviously, mm-hmm. and become a fan of the program. And so those people weren't the people who were organising fandom in the mid to late 70s when mm. fandom actually appeared. So there is, at this point, a very definite cut-off. There are, there are no Doctor Who fans, inverted commas, over the age of, what, maybe 53, perhaps? So we don't I have... Mean. I, don't, yeah. I mean, there are, yeah. there are people older than fans that who like it fans with a little f who will watch it every week but they're not the people going on i mean there's going to be occasional exception but by and large people on the forums are 50 and down i don't know that'd be an interesting thing to find mm. out because yeah. we're not definite are we not completely sure about no, no 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 i'm not saying i'm it's completely a good, it, sure but no, i'm but saying good... you know the general rule is we don't know what happens to somebody who has spent the last what we need to know is who is years. the oldest fanboy no, but you're missing my point. Yeah, I know. What I want to know is, that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But what I'm saying, well, okay, if you're 65 and you're listening to our podcast, email in and let us know. Okay, yeah. But my point is, we don't know what Doctor Who fans en masse in their 60s, in their 70s, in their 80s might be like. 
Will they be going on forums? Will they be going to conventions? Will they still be buying Doctor Who magazine? Because I can't see it. I can't mm, picture I've it. I've got to be honest. Um, I yeah. wasn't sure that I'd be a Doctor Who fan beyond my mid-20s because that was the period when I ended up selling lots of stuff and thinking, well, I've got other things to do now. But Babies we've come back to it. But yeah. I've come back to it. But are we going to stay time. back with it? I it's, it's a good, really good question. I think if the TV programme is continuing... That will keep you kind of reinvigorated. You'll keep watching it and seeing what happens next. But I think you'll keep watching. But at some point, yeah. are you going to stop going on the forums? At some point, are you going to stop, stop buying the, the magazine <laughs> and just go back to being a viewer? Anyway, possibly. Better, possibly yeah. Yeah. Uh, he carries on. What about when I'm 60? Will I be rushing back in from the bingo so that I can watch the Rose Tyler adventures? Will the new talking Dalek sit alongside my constipation tablets in the kitchen? <laughs> Will a Cyberman helmet be on my Christmas present list along with a new Zimmer frame, while a Sontaran figurine stands menacingly over my bedtime glass containing my false teeth? <laughs> More importantly, will I be able to download the Blue Box podcast on my scooter? <laughs> yes, you will. <laughs> we'll still be going. <laughs> that's debatable right, I will be there it carries on something brought this home to me recently I attended a sci-fi convention I don't go to many and it felt like a guilty pleasure I didn't really want to be seen going in or out I was scared I might end up on the local news or worse still bump into someone I know and have to mm. explain that I have in fact come on my own not with any children Perhaps the most scary thing was seeing men, older than myself, in cosplay. One man, I'm sure he was in his 50s, dressed as a unit soldier. It felt wrong. Surely his fandom ought to have expired. So in short, are we older fans running out of time? Is there an expiry date, whether we like it or not, on expressing our fan gene? And can older fans with children ride this out longer, pretending that fandom is actually for their kids, when in fact it's mostly for them? Please? Should I love 2013 with all I have as it's my last big one? Yours with some white hair poking through, John Locke. Well, interesting. Actually, mm. I think oh, that's, that is a really good question. That's a, re that's a really great email, email that's going to make me think a lot, actually. Yeah. And I do think profoundly about a lot of stuff in the world, including this kind of stuff. Maybe we could so, have made an episode out of yeah, it. Maybe I we thought can. when I was reading it, it's a great topic, but not one we could talk about for 60 what minutes. A, we might be able to do um, a theme on very deep topics, deep, profound ideas. We'll come back surrounded to with uh, Doctor Who, yeah. Be good. Anyway, he came back to me afterwards and said, JR, by the way, I love the TARDIS episode. Fab, a thought that didn't crop up in your conversation was the changing nature of the TARDIS in the original series concept. Originally, the Doctor could not control it, but later it became a spaceship that could be piloted, especially during the randomizer season. That change was quite fundamental, don't you think, especially at the writing level? I may be on my own, but I would love it if the series returned the TARDIS as originally conceived, an amazing ship that is permanently out of control and can take you wherever. What a fabulous reboot that would be. Well, as long as they work the Doctor's memory as well, that would be a double Maybe this will Maybe this will happen with the Twelfth Doctor. If he wakes up with no memory, he won't know how to fly yeah. the ship either. Yeah, be fun, wouldn't it? I just, <laughs> I'm kind of hoping that now. I said to him, God, we missed a trick not bringing that up, didn't we? But you're absolutely right. If I ever get hold of Doctor Who, I'd knacker the TARDIS's directional controls in an instant. Yeah. Agreed. Mm, yeah, go along with that. 
Indeed. And he says, thanks, JR. Arguably, the day the TARDIS could be piloted affected a bigger change in the series, a bigger change to the series than the first regeneration. And he's possibly right, because the regenerations just carry the character on, but being able to pilot the TARDIS instead of it just landing you wherever actually changes the pose a lot of questions. It also changes it? the story yeah. writing yeah. And, and everything, yeah. Yeah, I think brilliant points mm. there from John. Yeah, Mark. really good email. They are good. Thank I'm you. Sorry I'm that we can't we... come back with anything equally academically brilliant. <laughs> uh, the story we voted second out of season 13 was also a bit of a shock to me because I was bang on that this would have ended up top. Pyramids of Mars. <gasps> By know. one point. Actually, the more I think about it, maybe I should have put that first. <laughs> <laughs> I can't decide. They were so darn good, man. You uh, put it third. I did, didn't I? What was I thinking? Oh, well, never mind. Simon put it fourth. What were you thinking? What was I thinking? Stupid umbrella. Um, Pyramids and Mars. I put it Sutek, second. Yeah. The Destroyer. The Hand. And the Gabriel cushion. Wolf's voice. Fantastic. Yeah. Beautiful grounds they shot in. Was it Mick Jagger's house or something? Yeah, or? yeah I did. Yeah, that was really good. Again, and if... <laughs> As a as a kid watching it or whatever, you look at the concept of those mummies. I mean, they're stupid, aren't they? Really stupid. But as a kid, brilliant. Is that again? That's two fundamental me. flaws then with Pyramids and Mars. Yep. One again, three episodes good, one episode bad. The episode bad. <clears throat> the last one. The uh, tests. Well, oh yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, that's the riddle of the Sphinx me. is. Yeah, it wasn't the riddle of the Sphinx, no, but you know, right. the, 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 that one test was okay. The rest of it was all a bit. Mm, was that yeah, really what it was maybe all it's building not quite up so to? Bulletproof. That is one thing that I do remember. Being oh, it's a bit not weak. bulletproof by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> None of the stories from this period. The, the stories from this period are the most enjoyable in the entire classic run, but they are by no stretch of the imagination bulletproof. <laughs> um, and of course, at the end, oh, we'll just catch him in the time tunnel. I mean, that's quite nice. Yeah. But for an all-powerful god, bit of a hokey ending. And that's mm. the other fundamental flaw with it. For an all-powerful god who animates robots just by the sheer strength of his mind. You know, if you can animate robots by the sheer strength of your mind, surely you can just stand up. Maybe. But, I mean, it's the same with... Um... Someone was holding down his cushion so he couldn't stop. <laughs> so it's the same with Omega, isn't it? When he makes a chair out of nothing, he could be building any. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, come on, be a bit more inventive. Yeah, but that's the point. Omega in the Three Doctors is in another universe. So he has to use the strength of his will to break out of an entire universe. Suteg, who has. Equal strength of will. Sutek. Only needs to use that strength yeah. of will to get out of a chair. Yeah, but it's a chair with a magic hand behind him holding him down <laughs> plainly. That's what it is. Right. You can both wow. be as flippant <laughs> as you like, but that's a fundamental flaw. It is. In the I know story. it is. I'm not listening. Yeah. But you no, know, you're right. It is a massive flaw. The, there was an interesting idea of sending, um, of taking Sarah Jane into the future to see what it'd be like if Sutek. That was pretty silly. And, and you kind of think that break, breaks a lot of the Doctor Who kind of... Taboos, the myth. Yeah, it does. It breaks it, the why myth. Why doesn't he just do because, it all the time? Yeah, because that is precisely it. It's like if you can change the future by just going a little bit further into the past, mm. then you do it all the time. It's Blinovich limitation, really. Mm. 
Um, As I get back to the good bits. Yes. Oh yeah. There yeah. are lots of good bits. The organ playing. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> bit of a fez going on there as well. Mm-hmm. Brilliantly um, written and conceived characters all round. Yeah. And Michael Sheard interest- again. Yeah. Yeah. But an interesting great. thing: they all die. Oh yeah. Mm. They do. And a lot of them don't last very long at all. One of the characters we think is going to be quite big is the um, fellow who dies at the end of the very first episode. You know, the caretaker on the house. Yeah. And it's like, from that point onwards, you very rarely go more than 10 minutes without another character who you think is going to make it to the last episode, at least biting the bullet. By the time you get to the third episode, I think Michael Sheard's about the only one left. Mm. It's nice though, isn't it? You get all those mummies walking around the woods, force field that you can't get out of. Very strange kind of Egyptian thing going on. And then Mars linked. <laughs> it's like, Do you know the best Mars thing about from? it Why when Mars? I was a kid, even better than the mummies and Mars and everything else, the best thing ever about it when I was a kid was the uh, little... Um, Urns. Yes. What are they called, though? The, I forget what. What, the little cones? The urns they, they put. Oh, the urns. That the, they create the force field. Yes. What are they called? Nobody can remember. No, can't think of the word. Anyway, that's yes. the force field itself is what I'm getting to. Like yeah. little mini sarcophagi, aren't they? Mm. That sort of thing. I used to, you know, when I was a kid, I used to think, oh, God, if only somebody could put a force field up and I'd be stuck inside it and I didn't have to go to school. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, it's good. It, it fired the imagination. And again, another great Target book, I think, and Target cover. Loved all that. So, a story that won. <clears throat> yes. Well, there's only one story left, and it mm. was... Teeter Doom. Doom. Well, I, lo- I love every second of this. Again, it's another one of those things. Lots of lots of problems with it, but I think the villain is top-notch. Oh, yeah. Love Harrison uh, Chase. I love Harrison Chase. The uh, batty woman in it, a bit of light relief, fine. I like the... Um, uh, um, face, the... the, the Gorby? Scorby, thank you very much. Yes, I was trying to remember the actor's name, but I can't remember his name. Uh, Boise. Boise. That's yeah, it. Yeah, he was one, Boise. Yeah. But he was, again, fantastic in that real big bully, nasty piece of work. Really Chalmers? nice stereotypical kind of thing going on with him bullying this slightly lesser, uh, you know, um, kick, sidekick he's got. But I, I love the fact that they nicked the thing from another space. Is that what it's called? The Thing from Another Is it World. Is called The yeah. Thing from Another World? That's it, Another Space. <laughs> yeah, the room next door. That one. But uh, also in the, uh, in you know, tundras and things. And was it the Arctic or Antarctic? Yeah. Beautiful first two episodes. Great fun f- last four episodes. Well, I can't, how can you possibly not like this in any shape or form? Oh, because it's... Even with units later. started. Well, it's... Revelation of the Daleks again, isn't it? Oh, that's what? a bit harsh. Well, you know, I'm go not to your it, go I, to your room. Why am I? <laughs> why are you asking me why I don't like it? I do like it. I know you said you wanted to pick some faults. So mm. I just I, to see my biggest bugbear with the Seeds of Doom, and there are smaller bugbears. And for example, four episodes in the garden at a country house, which is stretched out beyond all recognition. But it just about gets by with that. And at the end of the episode, how can we get rid of this creature before it germinates? Oh, we'll just drop a bomb on it. 
Do you know, all endings to most Doctor Whos are pretty rubbish, aren't they? Yeah, but we'll just <laughs> drop a bomb of it. And you've, spent, and you've just spent the previous three episodes saying... Don't do it. <laughs> on, the, on the one hand, no, that's the wrong way to go about it. But on the other hand, it's about to germinate, right? It's full of, it's full of seed pods. Yeah. And we know these seed pods can withstand immense cold mm. and still retain life in order to germinate when they thaw out. So the chances are dropping a bomb on it is just going to spread a couple of thousand of these things mm. all throughout the atmosphere of the entire planet. Yeah, it needed something uh, slightly more cleverer, didn't it? I mean, he could have. I think we may have mentioned this before that the doctor could have come up with some serious weed killer of some kind that might have just tapped into, you know, pulled its genes apart or something. You, like you at the end of Robot. Yeah, 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 that kind of thing, like a, some kind of virus that would have worked. Something nicely. that would have killed it. Yeah. All totally. But it, it wasn't a bit of an action adventure thing going on. There was a lot of punching. The doctor throws punches in it. Yeah, well, this is my biggest bugbear. Yeah, it? that this wasn't is my revelation. The dark right. thing that wasn't quite right. Yeah, if you but that's do a survival mode, wasn't it? No, it wasn't really. No, it was just in there for the sake of it because the guy who wrote it had been used to writing nine o'clock detective series with lots of action yeah. and things like that. The this, doctor really. could have done something equally as clever and quite funny to knock the bloke out. Yeah, I mean, look at the difference between this and Sylvester McCoy's, where he talks the snipers out of shooting him. Mm. Uh, <laughs> no, but that's a brilliant scene. It's a brilliant idea for a scene. It just didn't come off to me. Anyway. Right, but you're missing the point. Uh, here he yes. throws a punch. Yes, I know. In in Sylvester McCoy, he talks them out of shooting them. It was. I mean, if you were to stop the action, you know, and take that idea where he talks about you don't want to do that. I'm not saying it, it may, that may work. In which case, all he needs to do is a bit of a spock on his neck, or I don't but know. That's what or, I'm saying. Or get somebody else to do the dirty work for It doesn't need to him. be that, but it needed to be something yeah. else. Yeah. I don't like seeing the doctor punching somebody. No, I don't. I don't like. As much as he's well written and well acted, I don't like seeing characters like Scorvy in Doctor Who. It's I why not? It's <laughs> not the right again. place for it. I don't like seeing the Doctor thrown into the yeah, but, weeding machine, right? But the no, okay. But the Doctor with Scorby at every point was putting him down so beautifully, and you yes. need him to be saying, mm. you know, uh, what I'm was not that thing saying. that hilarious thing about? Uh, um, he's going right, start talking. Well, Mozart had perfect pitch, and it's just you know, <laughs> you just straight away he's putting this guy down with words. Yeah, I'm not saying that it's not well written and well acted and very entertaining to watch. But it's not Doctor Who. But you, it's good to have a character that kind of violent, a bit like the violent butler. You know, I love your butler, he's so violent. You know, you've got to have somebody a bit rough and tumble and a bit, you know, because you've got evil creatures killing people. But the so have a human rough butler and tumble. in City of Death is a non-speaking role who's in like three scenes. But the Doctor handles it beautifully with words. He... he, he Yes, but you're mixing that. the point. Scorby's one of the main characters in... Yeah, and every time the Doctor dissects that very quickly, that anything to do with Scorby and his, and his you know, violence is quickly taken down but with... But you're missing uh, the point. You don't put that character into Doctor Who as a main part in the first place. No. Because it's Doctor Who. It's for eight-year-old kids. <clears throat> it's like doing the Sweeney for eight-year-olds. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that now and again. 
No, that. Well, it's that's not. A, I don't think it's a say word. I know it's got two moments that I, you know, the punchings one and the machine is yeah. another, which is a bit kind of, you know. But that's you know that's a no, bit, a bit of a pre-say word moment. But I mean, they were speaking. edging towards that kind of let's scare the buggers. Well, they come in the first episode. These two guys, Scorby and his sidekick, with a plan just to massacre the entire people on the base. You know, you were saying you were shocked at the shooting with the gun in the brain of Morbius, right? Well, right from the start, for six weeks, that's what the Seeds of Doom feels like. Is there anybody actually shot in the Seeds of Doom directly? Speaking figuratively, <laughs> I'm not speaking literally. I am. I can't think. But, yeah, maybe. Oh, I don't know. Maybe that's why I like it. Maybe I, I liked that slightly grown up, but quite B-movie-ish edge to it. Well, yeah, and uh, and I enjoy it, and I'm not saying I don't enjoy it, but I'm just saying it's not great. Yes, it is. Well, I voted it number one. <laughs> it got to number one, didn't it, out of all four of us? Yes. So that's pretty great, isn't it? When you said yourself, when when it came to voting, yeah. it was such a hard choice, because they're all really great stories, and they're yeah. right. They yeah, but that one... I, ticks all the boxes for me I can sit down and watch that and just revel in six episodes of yeah brilliance it's one of my it's one it of is those, a bit nasty but then yeah you know it's and not it's the one only of those one. episodes it's one of those stories I, you know you ju- I judge albums by the amount of times I listen to them and keep going back to them okay it's not mm. to do with oh that's a great album it's whether I just keep wanting to listen to them all the time even if they're a bit rubbish I think that's a great album for a reason. Why am I keeping mm. it? It must be good because I just like it. But I think I agree with what JR says in as much as I don't think you can have a series just continually doing that. But I think no. for... Well, the they did. One. Season 22. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's <laughs> why <laughs> that one doesn't And that's why Doctor well, yeah. got taken off the air. Yeah, but, you know, for the odd episode, you know, the odd story, I think it's just gives it a different tone and a different it's feel. A bit of an early Picks John. it up a bit. It's a bit of Caves of Androzani to me. It's syndrome. Caves of Androzani syndrome. That's all nasty as well. And I like that one as well. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. You think people like those because they stick out because they're not like the rest of the series. But I think that's why I don't like those, mm. especially. I'm not saying I don't enjoy those, mm. but I'm saying I don't like those, especially because I don't think they're Doctor Who. I know Doctor Who's supposed to be able to go anywhere and do anything. But I think at the same time, it also has to have a consistency of tone and content. And I think that when you throw something like Seeds of Doom or the Caves of Androzani or Revelation of the Daleks in, you're fundamentally doing something that's not Doctor Who. And so in spite of how well it might play, I don't think it makes for a great Doctor Who story. It is different. With a TV show with such open-ended possibilities you're going to end up having perhaps types of story that you don't feel are representative no what you had in this instance was a writer who didn't know doctor who and who wrote who later on created bergerac and lovejoy or not sure but he had worked almost exclusively Mm. on what they call policiers cop shows and so he comes into Doctor Who. He did do Terror of the Zygons, and he obviously got more of a helping hand with that, I would have said. And then Seeds of Doom, he gets asked for a second commission, and he's obviously, you know, blown his stuff on the first one. And the second one, he 
basically just writes an episode of, you know, X cop show with a great big green thing in it. Sounds great to me. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like, yeah, okay, but it's not Doctor Who. That's a cop show waiting to happen, isn't it? With a big cop. green thing. Yeah, policeman with a green sidekick. And Amy <clears throat> Pond in a police officer's outfit. Yeah. I just can't believe we voted this above Pyramids of Mars and Terror of the Zygons. Oh, go and lay down. <laughs> <laughs> but it was hard. I mean, we've got it to say, those, those top three, I, uh, to be honest, they all jostle. It depends on, you know, the mood I'm in. Sometimes Terror of the Zygons is the one that I just pulled up there and go, that's the one. It's true. You like know. you're talking about music before, you know, someone will turn around and say, oh, your favourite Beatles album. And you'll probably give a different answer Yeah, every time you're asked, just depending on your yeah. mood and what you feel yeah. like listening to. But I that, I can put Caesar Doom on and I will watch it from start yeah. to finish and I won't get bored of it. Mm. So I love it. There's not one bit in there I'll just go, you know, I don't want to watch this. I want to watch it all. I wish there was more. I think that's true of Pyramids of Mars and Terror of the Zygons yeah. and yeah. all the rest yeah. of them. Oh, no. this is... No uh, we like we'll go back to the rest of Doc Hoom's email now, which is about our episode TARDIS. And he says... It's a bit cheeky, isn't it, to have a postman and a librarian sneering at a writer's understanding <laughs> of science, Viz, Sayward and Bidmead. <laughs> but JR got it wrong, I think, about fairy tale versus science. By JR's rules, every piece of technology more advanced than the Brigadier's Land Rover or a laptop computer would be fairy tale because it's fictional. Humans travelling to other worlds would be fairy tale because we haven't yet got the technology to do so. The Delta Wave in The Parting of the Ways was a Deus Ex thingamy and completely fictional, <laughs> but at least they made a stab at giving the plot device a scientific explanation. Too much of Moffat these days is explained by genuinely fairy tale Deus Ex thingamies, yeah. like the family crying on Christmas Eve. Yeah. I think this is because he's not paying enough attention to plotting and certainly not giving us credible ideas to support his plots. They don't have to be bid-me-like explanations gleaned from a scientific journal, but at least make the effort. I do agree about the sort of fan who always insists on a detailed explanation of everything. We really don't need to be told why the Doctor always lands in the middle of adversity. Willing suspension of disbelief is supposed to take care of that. It's like the sort of fans who can't let the vague concept of a time war play in their imagination but insist on being given chapter and verse explaining it. In one of the books that came out in the wilderness years, it was explained that someone put something at the Earth's core which attracted the Doctor and lots of alien races to the Earth, and that <laughs> just sounds silly. So much better to have a throwaway clip in The Empty Child about the Earth being the only place he can get proper milk and to leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, why not? <clears throat> Uh, the explanation seekers are the fans for whom Doctor Who is a fetish rather than a love. Like Henry Van Staten, they don't want to travel to the stars, they want to drag the stars down to Earth and catalogue them in an alphabetised filing system. Doctor Who rests on a few brilliant concepts like Bigger on the Inside, The Chameleon Circuit and Regeneration, which really shouldn't be explored in any great detail. Look what happened when someone insisted on putting the 12 regenerations rule into The Deadly Assassin. By the way, whoever it was who said that there should be no problem with fitting one TARDIS inside another in Legopolis on the grounds that you could easily fit a mini inside a lorry, then went on to argue that the Thames couldn't flood the TARDIS because it was in a different dimension. You can't have it both ways. That's you, JR. It was me, but that was the point I was making, was that Christopher Bidmead was trying to have it both ways. In other words, he was changing yeah. the capabilities of the technology according to what he wanted them to do rather than starting from 
a place wherein he has the rules for the TARDIS and builds his story out of that. He did it the other way around. He wrote his story and then made the TARDIS follow the rules. At least that's how I saw it. He'd wrote all his stories, to be honest. Anyway, <laughs> the doors are supposed to be the link between the two different dimensions. If the Doctor can walk across that threshold, so can a flood of water. Flooding the Master out of the TARDIS may well be a bloody stupid idea, but it's not a physically illogical one. Oh, and nail on the head about Klingon honour. You get all those bad erasers throughout the Star Trek universe who we're supposed to hate for their habit of going around killing and conquering other races. The Klingons <clears throat> do exactly the same, but just because they call it honour, we're supposed to respect them for it. At the risk of dis... There's an owl in the corner of the room. At the risk of displaying far too much knowledge about Star Trek, what the Ferengi ought to do when someone from the Federation criticises their pursuit of profit is to say that it's a matter of honour for them. Then we'll see how two-faced those pyjama-wearing militarists of the Federation are. <laughs> Finally, with regard to the new podcast theme music, I could seriously do without the drumming. Okie dokie. Which one was that? The new theme tune, which you haven't heard because you've not listened to the last two oh, podcasts. I haven't heard it yet, no. <laughs> and on that juncture we shall call it good night i was lee i was mark i was jr and we will speak again soon i'm shaking my booty Podcast at yahoo.co.uk. Thank you.